0: It's good to see you all here tonight. I was informed by the good and honorable Bishop Thomas that there is, actually he's our barista tonight, Uh, thank you sir, that there is decaf flowing. Um, So if you are a decaf lover, it's tasty. And there's regular, and there's regular, and I've heard regular, regular. Um, And I've heard that in in the kitchen. Um, In the fridge, there is some cold brew. Again, you know, that will keep you up all night. So drink at your own risk. Uh, Tonight, uh, Pastor Pat and I have been tasked with taking the the big picture of work, trying to drive it down into a little bit more of our practice. And so tonight, we really want to focus on one aspect of Ian's uh, four-part, well-put-together uh, talk last week, which is really redemption, redemption of our work. As we, as we await the destination of our work, we're going to start thinking through uh, redemption in our work. So uh, a few reasons why we're talking about uh, faith and work, if this is your first week with us, which I know for some of you it is, um, you spend the majority of your life working. Uh, 80,000 hours is the guesstimate of about how many hours you spend clocking in and clocking out. And so a massive part of your life, you are being formed by your work environment. And for a lot of us, that's happening real passively. So our hope through this series is to actually integrate our faith in our work so that we're working as gospel-aligned workers, okay? Um, so the, the few things that Ian talked about last week, creation and design of work, fall and distortion of work, Redemption and Distinctive Work, which is where Pastor Pat and I are going to camp out tonight. And then Restoration and Destination of Work. If you want the notes from last week, they are available for 25 cents. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, They're just up here. You can grab them. Um, They'll be there in a messy pile. Um, So as as Ian mentioned last week, Jesus coming into the world... And the good news of his kingdom comes and redeems and restores the meaning of our work, the nature of our work, and the ultimate purpose of our work. And so as we camp out there tonight, we just are going to kind of address maybe some things that we're all feeling about our work, and maybe to put some language uh, around that. So Pat, set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight.
1: Yeah, in order to um, kind of set the stage for redemption, we have to talk about, again, the fall. So just put your head around this for a second. After the fall, when Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, they still had the responsibility to exercise dominion over the creation they had been made to exercise dominion over. So they had this massive responsibility, but there was this flaming cherubim, whatever that was, barring their access to the creator, with whom they were created to exercise dominion. So at the fall, heaven went dark. They had this massive responsibility, but they didn't have the resources or the knowledge necessary to manage the responsibility. Now, they did manage to develop agriculture, which was fabulous in building larger populations of human beings, except when there was famine. Or pestilence, and then all of the agriculture in the world couldn't offset the famine or pestilence. They were actually very good at technology. They developed tools that maximized the efficiency and the power of the sweat of their brow so that they could move into cities and they could build cities. They could urbanize in incredible, amazing ways, and we see archeological evidence of them doing that all over the planet. It's, it's fascinating to think about what people did in terms of technology and urbanization. But they kept dying. And so inevitably the question comes up, what's the point of all of this? Why do we keep building technology and settling in these massive cities and then we just die? And so they also developed art. They created the capacity to tell stories and to write songs and by stories and songs and poetry, we managed to tap into that part of us that hungers for some sort of existential spiritual experience, but it doesn't quite replace the darkness that heaven is to us. So all of this frustration is festering now for centuries. We've got this massive responsibility to exercise dominion over the planet and subdue it, but we don't have the resources, we don't have the power we need to actually do that because our partnership with the creator has been broken off. And we get to the guy Solomon, who Solomon kind of is the the apex of work theory, work philosophy, management philosophy in the Old Testament, and perhaps maybe still in the world. I, I think I can make an argument that if you read virtually any management book written today, it's going to be basically Solomonic. It is how do you leverage the resources you have to maximize the productivity of your workers and your resources so as to produce the maximum profit, which he explores in depth in Ecclesiastes and comes to the conclusion, I did some great things, but for the life of me, I can't figure out why and why it matters. So that's kind of modern management science. And I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm only trying to say the fall put us into a of futility. So our central question tonight is, how does the gospel, how does Jesus and the gospel redeem our work from futility? All right, and we're going to cover basically three basic steps in that. We're going to say that the gospel rewrites, let me look at your notes here, because they're on the slides, they'll get to them. The gospel rewrites the story of our work, it reorients the setting of our work, and it redefines the success of our work. Okay. Yeah. And we'll so work through each of these. So, we'll, we'll,
0: real quick, we'll um, pray and we'll, and we'll jump in. Because, as any time that you get myself and Pat uh, leading anything, uh, you're going to get a, a brief history of human existence uh, and, and all sorts of. <laughs> so, bear with us, drink some coffee, and, and we'll dive in. But let, let me pray for us first. Father, um, we are grateful. We are grateful that you have created. This world and tasked us with cultivating it. Father, we're grateful for the mandate that you've given us. Father, I pray that we would, even through tonight, be challenged and encouraged to view our work differently, to view our work through the lens of the gospel, and, Father, to leave even starting work in the morning with a completely different paradigm. So, Father, do what only you can in us. Help us be the new creation you've made us to be. And we pray this in your name. All right, Pat. Amen. Amen. Let's dive in by asking uh, the first question here. How does the gospel actually rewrite the story of our work?
1: Yeah, the big picture is this. The gospel blows the roof off, toil under the sun, and it kicks the back wall out of Surely You Shall Die. Okay, if you can get your head around those two things, you're gonna understand basically how the gospel rewrites the story of work. All right, when I say it blows the roof off, the best that Solomon could do was define the highest point of work for human beings under the sun. But Jesus comes into the world, and what kind of kingdom does he come talking about? The kingdom of heaven. Up until that point, everybody thought, The kingdom was going to be Israel kind of maximizing its geopolitical footprint on the planet and all of the nations streaming into Jerusalem. Jesus comes talking about a kingdom of heaven that taps into the prophecies of Daniel, taps into the prophecies of Isaiah, and helps us to remember that over all of the kingdoms of the earth is this kingdom of God, which essentially blows the roof off of everybody's understanding of what kingdom was at the time. And think about it. Jesus talked about laying up treasures in heaven. Now, those are words we typically associate with work. We work so that we can accumulate treasures. But now Jesus is talking about laying up treasures in heaven. How do you do that? But you see what we're saying? The gospel comes and he blows the roof off of our idea of work under the sun. It's no longer just under the sun. In addition when he died for our sins and introduced the reality of everlasting life for those who place their faith in him, he kicked the back wall out of, out of the prison that confines us, because now our work is no longer constrained by the day of our death. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it's just this beautiful statement. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from this time forward, for they shall have rest, they shall enter into their rest, and their deeds follow them. Think about that for a second. The things that they did here before they died are now following them to there, and they are blessed because of that. So if I'm working today with a different orientation than the under the sun only orientation and the back wall of my own mortality kicked out by everlasting life offered in Jesus— that begins to redeem the whole story of our work.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, with that being the reality, like we're stepping into what is actually real, if you start to think about that and you think about the epistles being written to the churches, it's instructive for us that work always shows up. Work up. Work, Work always shows up, repeated for emphasis. But if you think about that, so often in how a lot of us have been raised or brought up even in the church, there is a massive separation between Monday to Friday, maybe some pseudo rest on Saturday, and coming to church on Sunday. There's a massive separation, and what the the epistles are doing, and what all of the scriptures are doing, is saying that the work that you once toiled at under the sun is now done, pun intended, under the sun, and has a, a great amount of significance, and is integral to what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus.
1: Yeah, as an illustration, we can and we will look at a couple of passages. So Ephesians chapter six, for instance, yeah. I think we got it up here. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter six. Um, you can see that Paul spends a great deal of time just talking about work, not because he's trying to segregate it into its own category, but because it's a part of the whole picture of what it is to be a Christian. Maybe let's read this out loud. Somebody want to give this a read for us? I'll bring you a mic, in fact. It's right on the page. Do we have it's any available. volunteers? Just read it out loud. I think it's worthwhile to read it out loud. Evan? Did you say yes? All right.
0: You volunteered as tribute. Okay. (laughs) He raised an eyebrow, Pat. (laughs) So we're going to read Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him.
1: Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. There go. so is that not an entirely different story about work than you think either the slaves or the masters to whom he's writing have ever heard before and can you see how Jesus blowing the roof off of our ideas of work elevates who our true boss is from just the person at the top of our company's org chart or at least the person over me to something way beyond the sun to the very throne room of heaven. We serve the Lord Christ, even though we happen to be a slave or a master, whatever the case might be here.
0: Yeah, so it rewrites the story of who is my true boss. Uh, Somebody say, Jesus is my boss. It's utterly true. It's utterly true, and also true of those who don't acknowledge that sentence. Jesus is my boss, okay? Okay. But he's not only my boss, uh, it also rewrites the story of my true, of what my true paycheck is. Uh, some of us think that uh, the paycheck that we get direct deposited or maybe paid in um, unmarked bills, I don't know how your pay works, um, but some of us think so with our, with our eyes that we, we see the physical and we, first of all, wrongfully assume that we produce it. And that it doesn't come directly from the Lord. But then we also wrongfully assume that it's for us, me, myself, and my tribe primarily.
1: Yeah, and think about all the times in the Gospels you hear Jesus talking about rewards. And I mean, just think about it for a second. He promises that no deed, however small, even a cup of water given in the name of a prophet will not go unrewarded in the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that's pretty small. And he's keeping tabs on that. And then he tells parables about guys given ten talents and five talents and two talents and how they're given cities to rule in the age to come. Jesus is all about paycheck or reward. But when you blow the roof off and kick the back walls out, you can begin to think about it in terms where it really becomes satisfying. Whatever your paycheck is, you're not satisfied with it. Honestly, you're not. But there is coming a day when their deeds will follow them. Blessed are those whose deeds follow them. Not only that.
0: Yeah, it rewrites the story of what my true job performance is. Um, again, Pat and I tonight are really trying to begin conversations and not drill down into the particulars for you but you have a, a view of what success looks like in your field. You have a view of what progress looks like in your field. And part of what the modern age has done to you is made you think that it is a linear progression of ever-increasing prosperity across the board. It means uninterrupted promotion. It means monetary advancement. It means keeping up with not only the Joneses, but inflation. And we want to suggest tonight that that's probably not the best way of thinking and and thinking of success. Rather, success for the Christian is ultimately faithfulness, regardless of a lot of the external um, trappings of that.
1: And look at what the faithfulness looks like in this passage, okay? It's a sincere heart. It's avoiding behavior that looks like eye service or people-pleasing. It is seeking to do the will of God. From the heart. It's rendering service with a good will. Whether you're an employee, slave in this case, or whether you're a master, we are to do the same to them and stop threatening. So if you work under gospel job performance metrics, whatever else you do on the job needs to be submitted to these performance metrics because these are the metrics that the kingdom of heaven is applying to your right-now-today work. In addition to whatever your company, your boss, your school is applying, these are the metrics that ride over all of it because the gospel has blown the roof off and kicked the back walls out of our understanding of work. And if you can get that and allow it to begin to percolate in your head and then take passages like Ephesians chapter 6, five, chapter six here, it's going to revolutionize the way you begin seeing your job. And that's the point. That's what the redemption of our work from futility is. It's rethinking the work that God has given us here, which brings us to the next point, which is the gospel reorienting the setting of our work or our ideas of career, if you will. And the gospel, literally, it levelizes all careers, doesn't it? The passage we just read, whether you're a master, whether you're a slave, you both have the same master, so now all you have is different functions. You don't have different tiers, different classes, different castes. You just have different functions. It's no more important than another person's work, no less important than another person's work. It is work that the Lord has given you. And this is another question that comes up in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in fact, do we have that passage? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 7. We'll have somebody read this one, too. It's on the paper, but I I think I'd rather have you read it off the screen because the paper has a bunch of stuff about circumcision. We don't want to get into that right now. Um, That's for a different equip night. (laughs) That'll be the next equip night. Um, (laughs) Yeah, okay. Lewis. Do you know how to read these? All right, man. Can you read it off the screen?
2: Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you get, can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who has called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God.
1: Okay, you see how this makes career titles, career pursuits not insignificant, not unimportant, but not central, not ultimate. And this is how the gospel reorients our understanding of our career. Your career matters, why? Who put you there? You thought you did. You thought by virtue of your degree by virtue of your experience, by virtue of your uh, uh, skill, by virtue of your connections. You put yourself in your career. You did that the same way kings make it to the throne. Heaven orders our individual lives as surely as it orders the affairs of nations. And so, Paul is just tapping into something the prophets have been saying for centuries now, and he's applying it to your job and my job, your career and my career, which is not to say your effort, your skill, your schooling, not to say that that stuff isn't important. It's just not ultimate. It's just not central. Follow that?
0: Yeah, probably another thing to add to that is, um, the, the again, the secular-sacred divide, The amount of conversations I have about uh, this idea that what we're doing over here is somehow superior to what someone is doing working uh, as a plumber. This text throws that out the window and actually says that you are a minister of plumbing. You are a minister of uh, logistics and transport coordination for publics. I don't even know if that's a title, Kelly, you can say it's not. It's not, it's not real. It should be, be. I should name things. That's biblical, garden, okay? But this is saying, like, if you put minister, ambassador before whatever uh, job you hold, that is this Corinthians idea that Paul is trying to get them to understand. And if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is littered with examples of this, of people filled with the Spirit of God, not self-made. Say, I'm not self-made. That is the heresy of the West. I am self-made. You are not. Yeah, yeah. You are not. And uh, so, so the pursuit of even self-actualization in that is, is attacked. Yeah. Um, we, need, we need to re- rethink some of these categories and put minister or ambassador
1: before all of our job titles. Yeah, the big aha of the gospel is that my identity in society is now defined by the fact that I work for Jesus at my particular job not by the fact that I work a particular job and happen to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, let's, let's give some caveats um, and keep cruising, Pat. Yeah, okay, sounds good. you and I are verbose. Yeah. So, so notice here what it says about your job, that where you are is where you should at least consider staying for right now. However, if your current career is immoral, illegal, or criminal, stop it and replace it. Yeah. Now, wait, wait, for, wait for a second. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul throws this little sentence in, verse 28. Let the thief, how's that for a career title? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor with his hands so that he might have something to give to others. So Paul is saying, if your career has been a thief Stop it. Get a new job and aim in that job not only to provide for your own needs but to generate excess margins so as to begin giving to others, which is the Christian model of generosity. That's right.
0: That that is the quintessential, that's Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man, the wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord. Okay,
1: we got to keep moving on here. We we joked before we got over here. This is probably we're going to get fired from let this and I do setting. This yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. Here here's another caveat that aligns with this because Paul is not trying to say, listen, if you're a slave, too bad for you, dude, you're stuck. He clearly says that if you can improve your career, you're encouraged to do so. Okay, and notice that the career move is into a more righteous, generous mode and not necessarily into an easier, softer mode. In other words, if work is hard for you, embrace it. Get better. Grow, develop, strengthen your skills. Get better. Don't slack off. But if you can go from being a slave to a freeman, that's the right direction. Pursue it. If you can go from being an employee to a manager, and that's something that you aspire to, do it. In the New Testament, First Timothy, if a man aspires to the office of an elder, yeah, let's go after it. So there's something about aspiration that's good, but not to the point of discontentment and disobedience where I'm at. Your job tomorrow is your job tomorrow. Do it well, because the Lord has put you there. And allow him to be your boss while you're there, okay? So far, so good? Yep. Great passage. Let's this ask, is a great passage to meditate yeah, on and, yeah. and reflect on. Um,
0: Pat, uh, how
1: does the gospel, number three, redefine success in our work? Yeah, as, he, as uh, Andrew has said, we live under the idea that being success at my job means earning more money year over year, the bigger paycheck, gaining more status year over year, more seniority, higher advancement, whatever, accumulating ultimately enough over the years to enjoy a comfortable retirement, a better end of life. Now, the gospel doesn't discount these things as evil. It only dethrones them as ultimate or even dominant. They're incidental, not central to the gospel's understanding of what success on the job is. Hopefully, in America, you have the opportunity to do these things. That's great. We are a very rare society in which that's even possible. Most of the world, you don't get the chances that you get here. So... Thank God we live in America. But that's not what defines our success. What defines our success is the gospel. And in Colossians chapter 3, we've got, again, Paul's summary to the Colossians about this business of work. And I think he offers us at least three different uh, ideas to ponder around definition of success. You want to yeah. give this one a read? I'll, I'll read this one. Um, okay.
0: No, these are on.
1: That's better. <laughs>
0: And whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with a sincere heart fearing the Lord whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you sh- you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person.
1: All right, so we can see here that from the highlighted passage that at least one metric of gospel success calls for excellence in the work itself, whether that involves word or deed. Excellence in the work itself. Whatever you do, the word do there is kind of one of those comprehensive words for work in the Bible It con com- comprehends everything from conceiving the idea to formulating the plans to executing on the plans to enjoying the outcome. I mean, it covers the whole spectrum of work. So, whatever you do is to be done in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father. It is with an excellence. It's the same word that is used to describe God's work, in the creation, in his dealings with history, specifically in his dealings with redemption. Everything he does has that quality of excellence about it. That means we put the best we can into it, our energy, our attitude, our resources. We become the best we can at it with our skills, with our efficiency, with our focus, in order to deliver the best we can out of it in terms of quality, profitability, beauty. Excellent lives, lives, excellence lives in at least these three dimensions and covers the flow from gratitude to God, prayer for his help in our labor, to the way we talk about our work and our workplace. I mean, it just, it just covers everything. As a Christian, success on the job is excellence in that whole spectrum of what that word brings to the table in whatever we do in the creative process. Excellence. You see that?
0: Yeah, that's good, Pat. The the next thing that comes up here, um, you can see it there. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Um, and then walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. This is call for um, integrity in our work, uh, which Pat pointed out to me uh, the other day that this is literally working out from the soul, right, right, from the very center of who you are, and and that idea of integrity that who you are here on Sunday morning. And who you are on Monday morning, is the the same person. Yeah. The same person. And to think that work is this compartment, like you can sever yourself right. between the two, is a lie. Yeah. You are either cultivating the things we're talking about at work, and bringing those home and into the church environment, or you are cultivating something very different. And that doesn't happen. Um, that doesn't happen without effort and energy. Exactly.
1: The big, big picture summary is any man who is in Christ, any woman who is in Christ is a new creation. That's who you are. Whether it's on the work, in the family, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, we are to be living out who we have been made in Christ. And that is corresponding what is true about us in our heart and spirit with what is true about us in our living amongst human beings okay that's integrity that's what the the scriptures are talking about here and it doesn't make any difference whether you're a bond servant whether you're a master um, you treat your bond servants justly and fairly you understand that every day when you show up in the job you're working amongst believers and unbelievers and walking in wisdom so that whatever you do nobody ever considers you as a christ follower to be dishonest disreputable, or lazy, because integrity is the success metric that the gospel
0: calls us to. That's right. That's right. And I think in the workplace, especially, the lowest common denominator typically wins. We can just naturally gravitate there. Oh, well, the ethic of the workplace is do whatever it takes to get the sale. We do not play the same game. We have a different boss. And so integrity for us looks like holding, people should be able to look at us, and although they can't put their finger quite on it, they should know there is something distinct about these type of people. To some, that is going to make you the object of wrath. They're going to look at you, and they're going to say, I'm going to throw rocks at that. For others, they're going to be like, what's going on there? I am curious of that. Opportunity for the gospel.
1: That's what it's going to create to live with integrity in the workplace. You probably knew both of those things, okay? That's not anything really new. Christian circles talk about excellence and integrity all the time, and we need to keep talking about it because it's a high bar to which we've been called. But here's one that we don't often think of. This particular passage also defines gospel success as bringing benefit to the community, not just the worker. In other words, you go to your job and you do excellent work with integrity, not merely so that you can have a paycheck though I hope you get one, and I hope you get a great one, but so that you can have the means and resources through which, by which, you can bring benefit to the community, okay? We, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now think about it for a second. What did the Lord Christ call us to do? What's his big blanket statement? If anybody wants to know we're Christians, how are they going to know that? By our love for one another. By as much as we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are representing to anybody who cares to look that we are followers of Jesus Christ, okay? So, what does it mean to love my neighbor? It means laying my life down for them. It means sacrificing my resources for them, Good Samaritan, it means seeking to honor and regard them. You tracking with me now? So benefit to the community is a big deal in the economy of heaven. When Jesus comes to the end of all things at Matthew chapter 25, and he talks about how the king sitting on his throne in his glory with all the angels, and the nations are gathered there in front of him, and he separates them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he says to the sheep, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they said, I don't ever remember doing that. And he said, oh, yes, you did. Whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Benefit to the community. How many times does he give parables in the New Testament where people who hoard things for themselves hide things they've been given, and mismanage responsibilities they've been delegated are condemned. He has nothing positive to say about anybody who ever gets a huge harvest and lays it up for himself and says, take your ease, my soul, rest and enjoy, for you have much laid up for yourself. He has nothing good to say about that. He has nothing positive to say about a steward who is granted a resource and buries it in the ground because I'm just afraid, man, I didn't want to upset you, so I didn't do anything with it. has nothing positive to say about that. Somebody entrusted with caring for the welfare of others who slacks on their responsibility, gets all caught up in themselves, and refuses, fails to do what they've been tasked to do, he talks about them being cast into outer darkness where there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, That's harsh. The point is this, the gospel metric of success is not just integrity and excellence, it's benefit to the community from the work I do because of the worker I am. And That is critical in an economy that has the roof blown off and the walls kicked out. If we want to be that community of people who are blessed because our deeds follow us, We have to reorient our understanding of what it means to be successful on the job. And I'm suggesting that at least from this passage, and there's probably more things in the New Testament than just this, but at least from this passage, that three of those things are excellence, paying attention to the work itself, integrity, being true to the new creation I am in Christ, and bringing benefit to the community, figuring out how I can relate what I'm doing tomorrow morning to the good of my coworkers, my boss, my neighborhood, my customer, whatever it might be. But I'm starting to draw a direct line to my work and how it's benefiting other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our our work goes over the head of our boss to our great boss.
0: Always does. Always does. And the more we live inside of that story, with the roof blown off, as Pat has said, Uh, the more we actually start to inhabit the kingdom ethics in our workplace. Because all of your workplaces have some code of ethics, but they're probably in ways more lax or more ridiculous uh, than our great King Jesus' mandate for us. And this is a way, truly, this is a way that we see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel in our everyday, ordinary stuff of life day in, day out in the workplace. I mean, think about what would happen if even this room went back to your workplace and stopped complaining. That would change something. People would start looking at you, you usually complain with us about this, but you're no longer doing it. Instead, you're grateful. Wow. And that's just, that's just a small example, I think a massive example, but a small example, because the culture of our work is toil and grumble And complaint. What if Christians weren't marked by grumbling and complaining, but by thanksgiving to our Father in heaven, who has
1: graciously given us work? So, our central question was how does Jesus in the gospel redeem my work from futility? These are just some high level entry point topics for probably greater reflection and um, um, meditation. Uh, In fact, that's what we're going to do next. Uh, We're going to Take about 15, 20 minutes or so in small groups in the uh, auditorium here. On the back of the handout, there's some discussion questions. I think we've got some discussion questions here. Yep, we'll throw them up on the screen, too. Um, right now, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the Kingdom Kids and the youth and students to um Y'all did a great locations.
0: job. Y- y'all teach yeah. this to your parents later. <laughs> yeah, great job,
1: kids. Kingdom Kids, uh, you're going to go out back here, so not Sure, who they're, yeah, just head out back to where we have, um, had supper, and then youth back in the um, left hand corner from your vantage point with Andrew and crew, and then we'll kind of allow you to take um, groups like we did last time and just process some of these questions, think through them. Is there anything that we've said that's been confusing? You're saying, gosh, I really don't understand that, because if there is, maybe it would be good to address that as just a a large group, then not. But if not, we'll just go ahead and go to our groups. Any large questions or big? I don't get this. I don't understand that part of it. All right, cool. We'll give you about uh, 10 minutes, and then we'll reconvene, have prayer, and some um, uh, announcements to, to follow, okay? All right, cool. Have at it.